Welcome to the Henslow Innovator Series, where we sit down with the founders and CEOs of some of Australia's most exciting emerging companies to talk about their story, growth ambitions, and lessons that they've learned along the way. I'm Alexis Hancock, and today I'm joined by Dom Pym, co-founder of UP. Thanks for having me. All right, Dom, to start things off for a bit of an icebreaker, what is your favourite app? Up. <laughs> <laughs> No, I, no, I have some apps I use every day. Flipboard yeah. is one of them. It's like your own personal magazine. Like it takes all of your social feeds and your behaviour and topics that you're interested in. Mm. You know, for me, it might be movies or it might be fintech or leadership startups. And it sort of curates a personal magazine or mm. newspaper for you. It's awesome. It was used to be much more popular, I think, but I still love it. Yeah. Do you reckon yeah. you use it every day? Yeah. 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 I, so it's I a daily habit. Well, I don't watch the news and I don't listen to the news. Really? So I don't surf social media. I'm yep. not too busy. So every now and then when I have five minutes, I'll just open up Flipboard. And it's always amazing things that I care about. I think the one of the there's a new John Wick coming out, John Wick 4. You yeah. know, like it knows that I'm going to care about that. Or there's a new Star Wars series on Disney, you know. Like, yeah. So it tells me the things that I care about. And I think that's pretty cool. It's really well curated. Mm. But it also will surface things like... Elon Musk has started a new business or Elon Musk has invested in this or whatever. And I'm an Elon Musk fan. <laughs> yeah. I love Tesla and I love SpaceX. So, yeah, I think that it's smart enough to know what's interesting for me and then expose me to more of that, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is that is very interesting. I can't even think of what app I think. Well, in the olden days, we had like RSS feeds Yeah, where you could sort of create your feed, but it all came from the one source, whereas this is like many inputs and then one output. And everybody who uses Flipboard gets a different Flipboard. So yep. yours would be different than mine. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So that's probably one app I like. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, given your deep, deep expertise in the industry, having co-founded as well many, many companies, one of them being PIM Payments and then Cleargrain and obviously Ferocious and then Up, say we take it back to Daydot. Who was the lucky employer to first have Dom Pim as their employee? I mean, I had a lot of jobs in the early days, but yeah. the first significant one was SAP. And yeah. SAP is still today the third largest software company in the world. So was um, that your first job from uni? I was still at oh, uni. So I, got, I was the youngest employee and the first undergraduate at SAP ever. So I was 19. Wow. Yeah. And I, I call it the sort of baptism of fire because I spent seven years working with, at the time, the second largest software company in the world, third largest now. And I got to work with about, I think it's nearly 50 of the Fortune 500 companies. And I got to work throughout 13 countries in Asia, in Europe, in the US. I ended up settling in Palo Alto in Silicon Valley. Mm -hmm. I lived in Singapore for two and a half years. You know, we worked and lived in Japan and the UK, all over the place. So yep. that was amazing. Not only did I build relationships with people back then, but I also got to work on game-changing products. Imagine that I was in Silicon Valley before mm. Google existed. That's phenomenal. Right? So How old were you? Well, I started at 19. Yep. And by the time I was in the Valley, I would have been, I reckon, 23, 24. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So then from there, where'd you go next? So I finished off working on these big projects with SAP and I moved back to Australia to set up SAP Development Hub here. Yeah. Uh, we never had like an engineering software development hub. It was all done in Japan for Asia Pacific, yep. but in Germany and the US. And so we set one up in Australia. And then I left SAP with one of my SAP colleagues to start a record label. A record label. <laughs> yeah, an independent wow. record label. And we went, we did some amazing things. Like we toured with Jimmy Barnes and John Farnham and... You know, like Delta Goodrum and the Whitlams yeah. and Machine Gun Fallacia and all these amazing artists, uh, Missy Higgins, I don't know, so many crazy famous people now. Yeah. Um, and we, we ended up building, again, technology mm -hmm. to help bands manage themselves. So we created a tool called Band Manager. 
And we had maybe, well, we had hundreds, maybe 500 even independent artists. We had a number one song in the independent charts. We're yep. on video hits. We're on MTV. We're on Rage, Hottest 100, Triple J, all the local radio stations. We toured around Australia many, many times. We sold out every major venue in Australia. I remember one time we went to Tasmania yep. and uh, we did a gig at a vineyard. We had over 10,000 people there. Oh, so it was a goodness. very successful little independent record label. I wouldn't really call that little. It was little. It was like the record business is very big business. We, yeah. we were the first iTunes content aggregator in Australia. Wow. So back in our day, all the music was on CD. Mm -hmm. um, and then we were able to take it, manufacture the CDs and ship them into stores. Yep. And we had Sanity and Virgin Music and JB Hi-Fi and all these different stores. But then it very quickly became when, when the iPod was released and iTunes came out, we became the first to convert to digital music and be able to publish it through iTunes. Yeah. And so that tells you how old I am. <laughs> that is amazing. So yeah. where did that idea come from? Uh, well, one of my colleagues at SAP was in a band. Yeah. And uh, Are you I musical? Not at all. No, I was the technology guy. Yeah. But w when I was living in Singapore, I can't remember what I did, but I hurt my back. I'm sure I've got some photos, but I have vivid memories of lying on the tiled floor mm -hmm. because I had a sore back with my laptop and just typing away. And I actually built Band Manager as a tool to manage the band back home in Australia. And so then when I moved back to Australia, he's like, we've got this great tool. Do you want to come manage the band? We'll set up a record label. We can manage other bands. Mm -hmm. And so we actually started Australia's biggest music school as well. And then we wow. built a recording studio. And so we had this whole ecosystem. You can imagine like if you ask someone to work at a record company or to teach someone music, they might just do that. But we were crazy. So yeah. we would advertise at the local schools and then teach the kids to play music, play the guitar, play the drums, sing, whatever it is. Then we would record them at our recording studio. Then we would manufacture their CDs. Then we would publish them. Then we would convert them and publish them on iTunes. And then we would take them on tour with us. And then we'd tour around with famous people and we'd sell out all the venues. And so we created an entire musical ecosystem. Mm. So even though it was just a small independent record label, we actually were creating our own success. And so we had a number one hit single in Australia. That's a song called So Entertaining. We broke all the charts. And one time I wrote some code. Yeah. This is back in the day, yep. back in the 90s, or might have been early 2000s, to send text messages to the radio stations to request songs. Oh. We sent so many text messages to Fox FM that we actually broke their servers. <laughs> And we were the number one highest rotation song at the time. So that was just like the beginnings of getting into technology, using it for some purpose, which happened to be music. Yeah. But yeah, I'm pretty tone deaf and I'm, yeah. I, I, I'm not into music very much. But like anything that I do, I really want to do it well. Yeah. And I think creating that ecosystem mm. and digitizing that experience was world leading at the time. Yeah. So you've obviously found a problem and then created a business to try to solve that yeah. problem. Yeah. yeah. What, was, what was that business called? It's called Zudio Music. Zudio Music. There's lots of other stories to come out of Zudio. Yeah. We, we had a little, I'd call it a subsidiary, but it was like a little partner company mm. called Red Team Pictures. And Red Team Pictures were these two guys, Lindsay and Jay, and they'd just come out of university and they made our video clips for us, for our bands. And we used to film the video clips in our warehouse, which was in Notting Hill, just near Monash University. Yeah. And uh, anyway, they started out making video clips for us. And I bought Lindsay his first MacBook yep. and a, a desk and a chair, and I still have that chair. It's amazing. We went to Chapel Street, bought all this secondhand furniture. Anyway, the reason I dwell on that story is that Lindsay went on to build some movies you might have heard of, like Lord of the Rings, yep. or I don't know. Okay, you may have heard them. Harry Potter, Harry Potter. Okay, uh, they yep. won a, so we're really a, into the big leagues now. They won an Academy Award for Happy Feet. Oh my um, so, so, so he started so making- So you set him up. Yeah, so he started making music video clips for us mm. as an independent label. Then he made them for the big labels. And then he got into Hollywood and started doing special effects. He made Gollum in Lord of the Rings. He made Dobby in Harry Potter. You can look him up on IMDb. He has yeah. so many accolades 
decades. Uh, and, you know, I mean, that's his story, not my story. Mm. But I feel like we were there together in the beginning. And I still have the video clips that he made for our number one band called Gus and Frank. And in fact, my wife's grandmother was in one of the video clips. Uh, <laughs> and it was a very emotional video clip. And then there's another one that I, I mean, I was in all of them. But there was one in particular where I was on MTV dancing in some wife fronts just in my you underwear. Were. <laughs> <It's pretty> crazy. <laughs> Crazy times, crazy times. You're very coordinated. No, not at all. It was hilarious. I think it was meant to be funny. Wow. So then talking of Lindsay and obviously, you know, having, I guess, helped him get his first job, I feel like there's very much a theme here with, you know, helping people and getting them started and then fostering that relationship together. How important is people to you in a business? I mean, for both Tomo and I, that was really critical at at Ferocia and up. You know, a lot of the footy players that Tomo used to coach Mm. are still family friends. They still come out to the office and, you know, it's 10, 15 years later Mm. and they still love Tomo. It was like that for me, but just in software yeah. you know, and in the music industry eventually. So people that I met back in the Zudio days currently work. There's two people that currently work at Up. You're kidding. No, so 20 or nearly 20, 19 years later, Yeah. Uh, Tommy and Ruckmail are still working with me. But Tom's worked with me through five different companies yeah. over 19 years. And Tom's so are doing something right. Yeah, so those relationships are amazing. And then Ferocia itself, we publish the names of every single person that has left Ferocia. Mm-hmm. And in 11 years, there's 27 names on our website. 29, actually, I think there is today. So less than 30 people have ever left, which means that we have a lot of people that have been with us for nearly a decade and some that have been with us for more than a decade. And then people like Ruckmail and Tommy that have sort of known and worked with me and Tomo and others over a long time, you know, yeah. 20 years. And and then we also have people I call boomerangs that have sort of left Ferocia or left Clear or left Zudio and then come back later on and yeah. now work with us again. And it just talks to that culture and the way that we care about people. And most of my stories are actually about those people and their lives. I remember when our CTO joined us and was talking about he used to work at Village Cinema and he worked at some startups and, and, and did some amazing things in, in his career before he joined us. But then once he joined us, we remember him getting married, having kids, buying a house. He was with us for nine years. So over those nine years, he really was part of the extended family. And Tomo and I kind of felt like we might call each other our work husband or our work wife, yeah. you know, <laughs> and we felt like we were the parents. And then we, we just have 30 kids. That's such a special family that you guys have created. Yeah, it's crazy. So I guess fintech is a very recent terminology for financial technology and you were definitely in financial technology before it was before it was cool. What did the landscape of that look like back then? I mean, I used to work in Silicon Valley mm. in Palo Alto. And uh, back in those days, pre-Google, there was, you know, there was no uh, Square or Stripe or Instagram or yeah. Facebook or all these sort of household names now mm. sort of didn't exist back then. And uh, we were joking before that I used to ride my bike to the office and you'd be riding through the hills yeah. and come across cows and horses and this sort of stuff. Sounds crazy, right? But remember, it's pre-Google. Mm. And so to me, Apple and Microsoft have been around for a very long time. But the Google era of sort of, I guess, web technology. When I started out in technology, yeah. we didn't have web browsers, mm. right? So I remember when Netscape launched. You I don't even know what that is. Yeah, well, now like <laughs> everybody uses web browsers now to surf yeah. the web, right? Well, yeah, Netscape was pretty. I mean, before Google, we had AltaVista, you know, mm. uh, and it was it was the search engine and, and Yahoo, of course. But you know, even the computers were so different back then because like one of the first computers I was using was like a, an IBM X. XT, you know, or an Apple IIe. But even when we started writing code, my mate's dad was in the CSIRO and they had all these crazy computers, like in little briefcases and all this mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And so we were writing code in things called like assembler and machine code. And very, very early days, I remember one of the first things we did was write a mouse driver 
because the mouse was brand new. It was a thing that had just been invented. <laughs> you know, so so for us, being right at the start of that, I think we had an opportunity to get our hands dirty. Yep. We used to build the computers ourselves. We used to write the source code. We used to, you know, contribute to kernels and operating systems. And you know, we built a, a, a platform mm. to actually interpret Java. Nowadays, that's just a thing. It yeah. just happens in the background. Yeah. So I think that experience growing up in the late 90s, early 2000s in Silicon Valley was out of control. And it sort of set me up for wanting to disrupt, wanting to use technology, not necessarily financial services, but I was working with SAP and yeah. SAP was very strong in financial services. So I had an opportunity to work with some of the biggest banks in the world, as well as the big banks in Australia. And so bringing together the technology component and then bringing together, the sort of grew up with technology yeah. and then bringing the financial services components together, mm. it just seemed natural. And nowadays it's FinTech yeah. and it's cool and everyone's doing the latest thing. But I feel like I've been there since practically the beginning. Yeah, well, you definitely have. <laughs> so did your time at SAP, bridging the technology side of it with the financial services side of it, help form up the idea for I mean, ab absolutely it did in a way. Mm -hmm. Like we did the world's first grain exchange. Yep. And, you know, my business partner was Marty Howell, who was co-founder at realestate.com.au. Yeah. And so we were doing interesting things. Our CTO had worked at a company called Aconex that got acquired by Oracle. Some of our other staff had, had worked at Invado or just amazing Australian technology companies. Mm -hmm. And and none of them necessarily were doing financial services. But when we built the grain exchange, yep. by the very nature of it being a commodities exchange, mm -hmm. it was all about financial services. And so that was one of the early fintechs that we got involved in. Yep. And that even that was 15 years ago. And then I started a company called Pin Payments with Grant Bissett, my co-founder. And, you know, we just recently exited that business, still going very strong. Yep. And in fact, one of the other founders that we made friends with along the way, Chris Dahl, he's the CEO at Pin Payments now. Pin Payments has been sold to Checkout. Checkout is the largest unicorn in Europe. Wow. It's like a $40 billion company and yep. it's the biggest competitor to Stripe globally. So now Pin is part of the Checkout group and it's just a little company we started. We actually... Grant was in Perth and I was in Melbourne, so we sort of straddled the two cities. Mm. Um, but, you know, that was a very early fintech and it powers a lot of other fintechs. Yep. So a lot of startups that have evolved in Australia over the last 10 years are using Stripe or PIN or other payment services. So mm. not only have we built fintechs, but we've also built the tools that power those fintechs. Yeah. And I think that's um, that's been an experience. And out of PIN spun another company called BillKite. Uh -huh. And BillKite is for deploying software to customers. And there's really only two big players in the world. Um, one is BillKite. And the other one is owned by Microsoft, a company called GitHub. And there's GitLab and a couple of others. But th those those tools to actually deploy software have helped us not only create up, but also help power the entire global fintech ecosystem. And not just fintech, but startups. So, yeah, I think it's been a really awesome journey and it's been challenging at times. Yeah. But I think definitely the technology background and then the financial services coming together has helped not only create the startups that I've been involved in, but also power a whole bunch of other startups as well. And now I get to invest in those companies. How cool is that? <laughs> it's like coming full circle. Yeah. So you've obviously had a lot of successes, but without those successes, there wouldn't be quite a few challenges along yep. the way. What do you reckon has been the biggest challenge in your career? I think, uh, you know, we talked earlier about people, how having a passion for helping people succeed in their lives. And then you come across real bad people. Like there are people that are just bad people and they're just, they don't have the ethic or the moral fortitude to be good global citizens. They just don't care. They don't care or they're yeah. greedy or whatever it is. And it was really eye-opening for me. I'm one of those people that trusts everyone. You have to lose my trust, not gain my trust. Yeah. And that can get me into trouble because I just trust people implicitly. And then some people turn out to be, quite frankly, dickheads. <laughs> and and so those people uh, surprised me and that was eye-opening. 
But then also we had some companies that didn't succeed, some that yeah. we had to shut down that just didn't work, others that we had you know, bad exits. So I had a bad exit with a company, ended up in court. You know, that was horrible. We don't like to talk about it or dwell on it or anything, but yeah. it actually was foundational. Like to talk about sometimes. Well, it was foundational yeah. in creating what we have now. Exactly. Because Tomo and I, for example, swore to each other, we would never get ourselves into that situation again. So we didn't raise any capital for Ferocia. We, yeah. we bootstrapped the whole thing ourselves, even if it nearly killed us, <laughs> because we had trouble with shareholders in the past. We didn't want our staff to be exposed to that level of risk. So it's all the rage nowadays to get all your staff on the cap table and provide equity and incentives. And that's really good when you have a successful exit and the staff also benefit from that. They talk about like the PayPal mafia. Yeah. You know, when PayPal exited, it created Peter Thiel and Elon Musk and all these amazing early participants. So that's the good side of it. The bad side of it is when things go wrong and you end up in court and you end up fighting or you end up in legal disputes or whatever, staff get all caught up in that and it mm. ruins relationships. So I think that if you're true to the idea that you want to help your staff, like we didn't have an equity plan at Ferocia, but when we sold the business, we made damn sure that everyone that was at the company, every single employee got to share in a significant capital pool yep. as part of the sale. There was no commitment to do that. There was no legal document. There was no equity. We didn't have to do that, but it was the right thing to do. Mm. And I think that a lot of us get caught up in this idea that everybody has to be a shareholder. Everybody has to be part of the company. Not if you have the right leadership. If you have the right leadership, then you just invoke the right culture. If you have the right culture, you get the right people. Yep. Those people share in the journey and you go on that journey and you learn together and you have heartaches together and have successes and failures. And then as long as you look after those people along the journey, then everybody can be a winner. Yeah. So I just think there's different models different approaches and there's different ways of taking that success to the next level. So for me, during the pandemic, we exited three companies. Yep. The combined value of those companies was over one and a half billion. Yep. So the significant businesses that two of them I co-founded, so PIN and Ferocia, which does up. Yep. And then we had another company in the UK called Nutmeg, of which I got in early days as a crowdfunding opportunity. Yep. So those businesses are quite extraordinary. And if you think about the acquirers of those businesses, Bendigo Bank mm. for Ferocia and up, Huge. check out for, for PIN payments. Yep. JP Morgan Chase for, for, for Nutmeg. Like, yeah. So, so th th those level of successes then provide you with not only the confidence to keep doing startups, but then also the capital to mm. be able to invest in people for the future. Yeah. So when, when you're talking about a startup and starting up a business, how important is getting the right people on board at day dot? It's the most important thing. Like yep. a lot of the so time, we're not talking about like product. Or... Forget about the ideas. Yep. Ideas are a dime a dozen, and yep. uh, everybody you know can build a website, or build an app. Uh, yep. You know, execution is there's there's a real skill in execution, but a lot of people are good at execution. Creating the culture, creating the team. On the very first day yep. that we hired someone at Ferocia, we hired three people. Those three people still work at the business today. Wow. They, they, they're the people that created the culture. They're the people that gave up their personal time, worked on weekends or late or whatever it was to contribute, to build the foundation of our business. And I think that passion attracts other talent and other people that are interested in doing. So one of the things we find fascinating is that a lot of companies will talk about people in the abstract, treat yeah. them as a number, talk about them as a resource, talk about outsourcing them, human talent, all this sort of bullshit. Actually, they're just people like you and me, yeah. and you become friends with them. You spend more time with them than you do with your own family. So for me, finding the right people and surrounding yourselves with people that are smarter than you, better than you, have more experience than you. That's why I partnered with Tomo. Mm. He has 20 years more experience than me. That's why Anson was our first employee. He's a bloody genius. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he's got a galaxy brain. He comes up with the most amazing, disruptive, imaginative things that I wouldn't even think of. So 
surrounding yourself with people that are better than yourself and then surrounding yourself with people that share your moral compass mm. that have the same values that you have that's what creates a good culture yeah no i can imagine right dom final question if you could be mentored by anyone past or present who would it be and why <laughs> that's a good question i mean I, it sounds a bit crazy but probably tomo yeah and you have I've spent 15 years working with Tomo and I've learned a lot, but there's always more to learn from Tomo. He's an absolute font of knowledge and experience. And so, yeah, really amazing. I mean, I I guess if I had to choose someone that I haven't worked with before, uh, it's probably a controversial answer, but Elon Musk. Mm. Elon Musk is not only the richest person ever, but he's also created some incredible businesses that are trying to you know, help humanity and multi-planetary species and environmental friendliness and all these sort of crazy things. And he gets a lot of media and a lot of press about the negative things. But yeah. I really think that he's a very resilient personality. And to sort of learn some of the traits or some of the sort of ups and downs that he's been through, I think that would be pretty amazing. Well, there you go. Grant Thomas and Elon Musk. All right, Dom, thank you so much for joining us today. No worries. Very appreciative of you and absolutely inspired by what you've done and will continue to do. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, Dom. Stay out.